Welcome to the Reunion Church Podcast. We're a community following Jesus, seeking the good of our city. We hope today's teaching is both challenging and encouraging. If we could be a resource to you on your spiritual journey, don't hesitate to reach out via our website at reunionnyc.com. Welcome. I'm really glad that you are here today. Um, I want to finish our Teach Us to Pray series um, this morning, um, and it ended up being eight weeks, uh, a little bit longer than we had actually first uh, anticipated, um, but I felt it was right. Uh, we were getting a lot of positive feedback on it, and so if, if you missed some of it or if this is your first time, um, please, if you want to know more of what we're about, um, check out some of these teachings in this series. Uh, you can do that on our YouTube or uh, on uh, our podcast, and if it's helpful, um, share it. I, I know for myself, um, I've said this over the last couple weeks, but I've literally just been praying more. Um, and feeling the, the nudge to pray more. So I think um, I'm grateful as well. A uh, couple of uh, very short uh, main texts for today, and then I'm going to be pulling from all over Scripture. Um, the title of today's teaching is Praying Scripture as a Means of Hope. And so what I really want to do is like practice that, but I want to set a foundation for um, like Jesus's relationship with the Scriptures and then give us sort of two cautions. And then I want to practice what it looks like to pray the Scriptures. Um, and so let's read, uh, our, I'll read our main text here today, uh, and then uh, we'll get into it here. There's two. First one comes from Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day. And then John chapter 5, verses 39 to 40. You study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. So, Lord, I love you, and I just pray that over the next few minutes that um, we might hear your still, small voice, that we might hear you um, give us life and hope through your scripture, and that uh, the words that are here and that are spoken today are from you. And they move from our heads and they sink down deep into our hearts. God, I pray that you uh, would meet us wherever we are this morning. That as we open your word and um, we bring to you our very life, that you would be the God that hears our prayers and does something about them. Root scripture in our church. Root scripture in each of us that they may be like an operating system of our life. Your very words that we could speak back to you in prayer. Be here now in this time. We love you, Jesus. Amen. One of the most powerful prayers I ever heard um, was simply a reciting of Scripture. It was by a pastor um, at a gathering of pastors. It was about 10 or 15 of us. It would have been about 20, in about 2015, I think. And about a month before this gathering, one of the pastors um, got the worst news of his life. <clears throat> his college-aged daughter had tragically died in a car accident. And I I can't exactly even remember how it got to be him, if somebody asked him to pray or if he volunteered to pray. Um, But he stood up and and through pauses and tears, um, he recited from Psalm 23, right from his memory. He stood up and he said, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And to me, just standing in this room, I, I, think, this, I think these were the only words that this man could muster up in a tragic time. There was nothing really else to say. There were no other words but simply prayer. There were no other words but scripture. Um, he went on, this pastor, you can Google it, um, he went on to write a book called Where Was God on the Worst Day of My Life? But he gave us a gift that day for those of us in the room. In the midst of his grief, he gave us prayer. And even just trying to wrap my head around a, a loss like that of a, of, of a child and the ability to pray, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He refreshes my, sh- my soul. Surely goodness and love will follow me. Often when we don't know what to pray, the very words of scripture are actually the best option. And so I want to give you this today sort of as a, a tool in your tool belt. Um, I want to leave that, um, the, that, that handout with you today. Maybe that's like hangs on the fridge. Um, maybe that would be a gift to you. But I also, um, I want us as a church to be in alignment with the God who speaks right? And scripture is a way that God has spoken. And so praying scripture is a way of doing that. And what we're doing when we're, we're learning to pray this way, we're, we're coupling our honest life, right? Our emotions and our experiences, and we're coupling them with the very words of scripture prayed back to God. And so uh, let's look at Jesus in the scriptures, and then I'll give like, two little caveats about us, and then we'll practice today. What about Jesus? What is his relationship with the scriptures? Jesus would have been a Jewish rabbi who would have been well-versed in the scriptures. In fact, um, growing up as a Jewish boy, he likely had the first five books of the Bible completely memorized. He's quoting scripture. He's praying scripture. He's teaching from the scriptures. His whole way of living and seeing the world was actually formed by the scriptures, the Old Testament in particular. And then when you come to the New Testament, sort of the second half of your Bible, you find they're saturated um, with references to the Old Testament. Um, if you went to uh, Matthew chapter 5 through 7, it's um, what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is quoting the Old Testament. He, he's just started his ministry. He's called his first disciples. Crowds are beginning to gather. He goes up on the hill, and Jesus, we find, is an amazing orator, right? People are just drawn to him. And he's, he's up there talking section to section in Matthews 5 through 7. Who knows if it was actually just like one really long day. But he's going through divorce, lusts, oaths, loving your enemies, these really like solid ethical teachings. And in uh, chapter 5, it keeps saying this repeated phrase, you heard it was said. It's said over seven times. You heard it was said. You heard it was said. You heard it was said. And what Jesus is doing is he's quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Numbers. He's saying, this is, this is what, what was said. And, and most of the crowd would have been like, I know what was said. And what Jesus then does is he begins to interpret that. Um, Jesus in the gospel quotes from the Torah, the, the narrative portions and the law portions. Uh, he quotes uh, from the wisdom literature. The Psalms are the most quoted book in all of New Testament. Uh, Jesus quotes from the apocalyptic literature and the prophets. Even on the cross, Jesus is quoting scripture. This is really fascinating. Um, in Mark chapter 15, um, uh, G- here's what Jesus says on the cross. He says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. He's speaking in Aramaic, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where did Jesus get this, these words? Psalm chapter 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? 
And so in Jesus's darkest hour, in, in pain and agony, I don't know about you, these are not like normally the things that I'm undergirding my life with, but Jesus's default operating system is to pray to God the Psalms. It's in him, right? And so Jesus loved the scriptures. I think that's a, a, a really important point. He prayed the scriptures, but I think um, when I look at this, I see that Jesus actually immersed his whole life in the scriptures. And then on top of that, just to like build one more step, Jesus began to make claims, right? He was making claims about who the scriptures were about, and Jesus was very bold. He said, I'm the point. I'm the point of the scriptures. So Jesus, after he resurrects, uh, there's this very famous passage um, in the end of Luke's gospel. I believe it's in John's as well, um, on the road to Emmaus. So Jesus is walking for whatever reason. He's with his two disciples. They cannot tell that it's him. And uh, I think the text says, they were kept from recognizing him. And then it says this, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. And so I went and looked. It's a seven-mile walk, and I have to wonder, like, Jesus is, like, going through the book of Exodus here, like, and all of the prophets. I'm like, how many miles are you really talking about this, my guy? And then all of a sudden, he says, all of that, Exodus, all the prophets, all of that, everything was pointing to me. There's this really great um, excerpt. I think it's in um, Tim Keller's book um, called Preaching, and um, it's a story from the great 19th century um, preacher, Charles Spurgeon. He tells a story about a Welsh pastor who's giving feedback to a, a young preacher on his sermon. And the elder pastor came in. He said, well, that was a very poor sermon. I'm like, wow, great feedback, right? The young preacher says, well, why do you, why do you think that was a poor sermon? And the elder pastor came and he said, um, because there was no Christ in your sermon. And the younger preacher said, well, Christ was not in the text. We are not to preach what's not in the text. I'm preaching the text. And here's what Charles Spurgeon, uh, I, I think it was an anecdote, um, the, the elder pastor said, don't you know that from every town and in every village and every little hamlet in England, there is a road to London. And in every text in scripture, there is a road to the metropolis of the scriptures that is Christ. And your business is when you get to the text is to say, now what is the road to Christ? and then preach a sermon along the roads towards the great metropolis, Christ. I have never yet found a text that had not a road to Christ in it. And if I ever do one that has not a road to Christ in it, I will make one. I will go over hedge and ditch, but I will get to my master, for the sermon cannot do any good unless there is a savor of Christ in it. Jesus thought that, and he taught that, the scriptures were all about him. Everything was leading up to him, and that's why Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount by saying, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so everything in scripture, front to back, Jesus is saying, it's all leading up to me. And so if that's the case, then what is our approach then with the scripture? And then what, what ultimately is my point in us praying the scriptures? And one of the things I really think it, that is important is prior to praying the scriptures is to get an accurate picture of how we generally view the scriptures, what the, what the point of them um, ultimately are. And so in John chapter 5, a group of religious leaders, they, they, um, they're called the Pharisees. They're like um, the religious conservatives of the day. Um, they come to Jesus, and they're, they're questioning his divinity, <clears throat> and they're questioning his interpretation of the scriptures. And Jesus responds back to them in John chapter 5 by saying this, 
For you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them they have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Another translation says, um, where it says testify, it says to, to bear witness about, right? A collection of, of books in the Bible, Jesus is saying, all, all that's still about me. And the Pharisees, it's almost as if he's coming to them and saying, you guys, you guys have a crazy high view of the Bible, right? Like you, you, you honor it, you read it, you study it, you know it, you memorized it, but actually you missed it. You thought that those very words had eternal life, but actually those, the, the words were pointing to me. It was about a person, and you ended up missing the plot line completely. And I was reading this this week, and I thought, wow, I, I think that unlocks something very important about the Bible. But also, I, I was a little, frankly, I was pretty terrified. I thought, I can know the Bible really well and know nothing about Jesus. Right? I can like get all this knowledge, and I can study, and I can gather all this information, and then all of a sudden... I'm like, do I really know and have a relationship with the person of Jesus? And, and hear me correctly. I love the scriptures. I believe the scriptures are a gift, but let's not divulge in leveraging the scriptures for knowledge or reducing the Bible down to a set of moral truths. But how do we actually like begin to immerse ourselves in it? So it's, um, I, I like that, that word, like an operating system for us. Eugene Peterson says it like this, Christians feed on scripture Christians don't simply learn or study or use scripture, we assimilate it. We take it into our lives in such a way that it gets metabolized into acts of love, cups of cold water, missions into all the world, healing and evangelism and justice in Jesus' name. So we're like putting it inside of us so that it will come out later. Um, I'll never forget when I was 17, I had this really amazing mentor. Um, He would always give us challenges um, and we were like, we were weirdos. We met Friday morning, 6.30 a.m. at McDonald's, and we would read scripture together. What are we, what are we doing at, at 17 years old, like 6.30 in the morning? We were devoted. And so we would go there. We would read scripture. Um, we were reading books. We were reading a lot of C.S. Lewis in that time. And then occasionally we'd show up. Um, one time we showed up. He wasn't even there. He sent his friend, who was an atheist, to argue with us. And we were like 17 years old, like, what is happening? But one time, we, we showed up, and he said, come on, we're going to the grocery store. And we're like, all right, let's go. And so the grocery store is in this parking lot, a little Kroger action. And so um, we, we go into the grocery store, and I think he had like a half-page piece of paper with the instructions on it. Now, he was, he was always like this. Like, he wasn't actually telling us what we were doing. He was just like, here, I'll see you in an hour. And we like had this piece of paper. And so on it um, was a challenge. And it was, go into the grocery store and walk around, um, and we had pens, and he said, make as many um, uh, scriptural associations with, like, items in the grocery store that you can. And, like, he left us one example. And so, parallel grocery items with scripture. And so, you're, like, in the bread aisle, you're, like, Jesus is the bread of life. Boom. Like, I got it. Write it down, right? And you're just trying to get as many as you can. You, like, walk up to the Oreos, and you're just, like battle between good and evil. I don't know, you know, um, like light and dark. Um, I, I'm not even going to try to do more because um, I have no idea what I would have written at the time. But it was actually brilliant because one of the things we were doing was we were seeing how ingrained and grounded we were in scripture, in, in names of God, um, in, in um, parables of the Bible, in literature that, frankly, we probably had no, nothing to, we, we had nothing to add to it. We we're just learning and soaking up and being like um, a, a sponge. But when, when we open the Bible and read it, we actually find that it's like reading us and shaping us 
And, and we open, open the Bible, it's, it's taking us off guard, and it's su- surprising us, and it's drawing us into participation with God. And over time, something happens inside of us. It's, it's, uh, I don't want to be fancy about it. It's, it's the process of discipleship, right? It's, it's us understanding our relationship with God. So let me just give us two little cautions here. This is about formation and not information, okay? We're so prone to information gathering and believing that affects how, how we do what we do. Um, and, and, and partly, I think that's how we've been taught to learn, right? We come into the classroom experience, right? You're, you're regurgitating information from a book. You know, you learn to take, take tests. And like we were, we were taught in a very didactic way rather than a very experiential way. And so actually, the importance, in, and this will be really important for our fall community groups, is that we're immersing ourselves in community and the scriptures together, right? And those things in tandem with one another are forming us into a certain type of people, right? And the other caution I want to give here is, um, maybe it's a caution and a caution, um, imagination over conduct, right? We, we read the Bible, and it's actually really easy to read the Bible, and um, you come to a list, particularly you come to Paul, and Paul's like, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, and you're just like, wow, the Bible's like basically a list of rules, or it's like a guide of, of right or wrong. That couldn't be further from the truth, because the Bible is, by and large, a story. And what do stories do? Stories invite you into participation with them, and that's how we ultimately change as people. Um, I like how Joel B. Green says it. Joel Green is a, um, a professor at uh, Fuller Theological Seminary. He says, whereas the church and its related institutions tend to focus on moral acts, Scripture is far more concerned with shaping our imaginations, our patterns of thinking, which inevitably find expression in transformed commitments and practices. Behavior serves as a display case for our deepest commitments. So, does how we live matter? It does. Don't, don't hear me incorrectly, right? But actually, I, lo- I like that. Behavior is a display case for our commitments and our practices, right? That's why when we immerse ourselves into, in it, this is why Jesus is on the cross facing um, like utmost tragedy in his life, and there's like the operating system takes over. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All right, so... A lot of ideas, contents, you're thinking about these things. How do we pray scripture? Particularly as people who desire hope. How, how, how would we even begin to go about that? Um, I, I was like working on trying to get through as many examples as I could today. I'm only going to probably get through three, but you have a handout today. And like I said, maybe that's like a good thing to hang on your fridge. But if you want to grab that, I'm going to go through a couple on there. There are scriptures paralleled in there. And one of the things I, when I was making this, I didn't, um, I didn't think of, which would have been a, a good practice is to put um, longer narrative passages alongside some of these, that we're reading larger chunks. And one of the things, one of the ways to approach this idea of praying scripture as a means of hope is, um, what the first, what's the first one on there, Will? Is it like anxiety? Anxious. Anx- okay, so if you're anxious. Okay, so this is a really good example. Um, a lot of people would say, well, you know, you need, to, you, under- you need to understand that the Bible is like a, a, a big hole, right? And there are parts of it. Well, if you're anxious... You just need the part that helps you in that moment, right? And so I'm not, I think one of the things I was wrestling with here is like, I don't think there's anything wrong in, in saying, God, I have a need. Is there, is there a word that you have for me? And sometimes, I think this is a great like, starting point. It's good to just say, this is where I'm at, and I need some hope in this moment. And so come to the scripture. And so that's why I try to list as many as there are there. Another way to approach this 
um, praying scripture as a means of hope would be to take something like the Psalms or a gospel, start reading them, and then what you actually do is you let the text set the agenda for your prayer, right? So you're praying whatever is coming to you, of course, in your life or whatever, but you're just praying what comes to you in um, the text. One note, um, the Bible holds various genres. One book, various genres. And so you have letters, you have biography, you have laws, you have apocalyptic literature, you have poetry. So um, you don't want to just open your Bible and say, like, God, give me a word. And it's like Leviticus pops up and, you know, you're just like, wow, now I, need, now I know, um, you know, what I need to do at, at the, you know, blah, blah, blah with this food, you know, whatever it may be. And so um, we don't read Leviticus the same way we would read um, Paul's letter. Leviticus serves more as a legal document than a letter written to a, a group of people. And so let me give you three examples here. Um, the first one is, is from Psalm chapter 13. This would be praying a prayer of lament. We didn't get to talk too much about this during the series, but 65 of the 150 psalms are psalms of lament. Um, and one of the things you find in these psalms of lament is this very open, honest conversation. You find people that are at their wit's end. They've had enough. They're done. They're processing grief. There's sadness. There's anger. There's a bit of overwhelm. And listen to how the psalmist speaks to God. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy, enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer me, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. And then, of course, you see like a little turn here. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praises for he has been good to me. Now, I think what maybe the, the important thing is, is this is in the Bible and you might say, I've never talked to God like this. Maybe you'd, say, maybe you'd say that you have. And one of the questions I was thinking about this week is like, is it okay to talk to God like this? How, how long, oh Lord? Like I probably didn't even read it right, right? How long, oh Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me, right? Something is happening inside this person. There's, a, there's something like welling up in this person, right? And I think it's really important to take this as a structure and say, um, if I'm going to actually learn to pray, if I'm going to learn to talk to God in a a certain and specific way, maybe I need to borrow from some of the intensity of other people, right? Um, Walter Brueggemann wrote a really great article um, called The Costly Loss of Lament. Um, And I'll just give you the structure really, really quick here. Uh, But he has like a structure about um, how to do the Psalms of Lament. And so the first one is this. Things are not right in their present arrangement. So, so where are you? Why, why have you for, forgotten me? Right? And if you're going to begin to pray this, like, God, where were you when I lost the job? God, where were you with the medical condition? God, where are you in the midst of what I'm going through right now? Right? Suffering is mounting. Life is not right. It's not as it was promised to be. Right? We feel the tension of that in our lives. And then there's a step of belief. I love this. Number two, they need not stay this way but can be changed, right? Something is possible, right? And I, one of the things I love about that is I see belief there. I see just like a little bit of belief, right? But I trust in your unfailing love. Number three, the speaker will not accept them this way for it is intolerable, right? God, I'm not okay with this. 
And quite frankly, I, I would guess that you're not either, right? This is an injustice, right, that breaks your heart. It's intolerable. Change is insisted upon. Um, and number four, it is God's obligation to change things, right? This is not the way things are supposed to be. And yet there's a little undergirding again of belief. I think God can actually do something. Uh, Sung Chan Ra, he wrote a great book called Prophetic Lament. This is what he says. He says, the American church avoids lament. The power of lament is minimized and the underlying narrative of suffering that requires lament is lost. But absence doesn't make the heart grow fonder. Absence makes the heart forget. The absence of lament in the liturgy of the American church results in the loss of memory. We forget the necessity of lamenting over suffering and pain. We forget the reality of suffering and pain. So this is something, this is like, I think, a good word for us as a church. Like, how are we lamenting um, the wrongs of our world, right? How are we putting those inside of our prayers of the people? What are the passages of Scripture that maybe sound um, tonally a little bit more emotional, a little bit more intense, but we're actually grieving the reality and pain of the world in which we live, the things that we would say, God, I don't believe that you're okay with this, and we are not okay with this as a people, right? It may be intense in terms of tone, but again, there's an undergirding of trust, and both things can be present, but a lot of us, we shy away from it, right? And, and I love our opening song, and this is not a dig at it. It's like, it's like we want to stay there, right? Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. You know, I was really trying there. Um, but like, how do we push into some of the harder things to have like harder conversations in that? You can talk to God like this, right? You can, and, and here's the other thing that you find. This will help you make sense of your pain. This will help make sense of the thing that you're going through. If you're confused and you say, God, I'm confused, right? God, I'm angry. God, I'm pissed off, right? God made you with those emotions, and so you pray them back to him. Um, a couple other ones. I, didn't, I don't think this is on the sheet. Um, Psalm 10, Psalm 13, Psalm 42. Psalm 42 is a great. It's going to take you on like the full range of emotion. It was just really long. But do you talk to God this way? And maybe you just need some permission to be able to do that. What about a different one? What about um, praying for contentment? What about Philippians chapter 4? My grandfather had verse 13 um, as a placard on his desk. It said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Read the context, right? I am not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. How do we pray for contentment? Or maybe why should we even pray for contentment? Contentment is like a a state of satisfaction, right? I don't know about you. Um, I I chose this one because personally, contentment to me is the thing that feels so elusive. When I read the passage, I thought, I want that. I want to be able to pray that, but I don't think I could pray that honestly, right? I want change. I want growth. I want progress. I want more, you know? And so contentment isn't the thing that I'd say, wow, I I really desire that. And I read the passage, and I thought, it is the thing that I think that I need at times, though. And then here was the fascinating thing. The reason I chose this passage is, does anybody know um, where Paul is when he wrote Philippians? He's in jail, right? He's in prison. This is one of his prison epistles. Read it again, thinking about his, his place. He's in prison writing that he's content. And for me, I was like, is, are you though? Like, are you? 
because like, I don't, know, I don't know what prisons are like in this time, but like, it seems a little cliche to me to like, pray that you're content, but you're in prison. And I thought, what if Paul's actually done a work of seeking contentment? Or what if Paul's even saying this so he believes it? I think sometimes, and the Psalms are definite evidence of this, I look at the Psalms of David and I'm like, does David really believe this or is he trying to believe this and so he's saying it and he's communicating it and he's saying, this is my desire. And so I think this is a wonderful prayer to pray. Like you could just literally just pray this, but pray it honestly to say, God, I am in need and I am learning to be content with other circumstances and I desire to be a person of contentment. But you're taking the very words of scripture, you're letting it shape your desire, your hopes, and you're placing it back before God to say, God, could you do this in my life? Because it's actually the thing that I think you desire, that I would be a person that's content. All right, what about one more? Um, What about praying for guidance or discernment? A lot of us find ourselves um, in stages of life where we're like, should I stay in the apartment? Should I leave the apartment? Should I stay in the city? Should I leave the city? Should I look for a new job? We're doing all that. And this is generally, we Google, it's fine, it's fine. We Google, this is what's gonna come up right here. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. There are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. It's good, right? It's good. I'm not knocking it yet. Um, It's fine, it can exist there, right? If you have it tattooed on you, that's awesome. I think that's really, really good that you would just pray it right there, right? This is a really good starting place. God, I believe you have good things for me. Reveal them to me. I want to know your plan. But again, I think these are are really good verses and all the ones that are even on that sheet. Zoom out. What's taking place? Because there's even more hope if you zoom out. There's even more hope if you, if you would take in the larger thing that's happening. And you don't need to like have a commentary and like a deep Bible study to figure some of these things out. But um, in, in the book of Jeremiah, um, uh, God is speaking um, to the Israelite people who are living in exile in Babylon. Um, think refugees. These are people who have been ripped from their homes. Their temple is destroyed. Their, um, their, their very um, city was ransacked by the Babylonians. So they're taking, taken to their, from their homes and they're taken to this foreign land, Babylon. And Jer- so Jeremiah is writing to people, if, hear this verse this way. He's writing to people who have no home, who were taken from their city. They're forced to worship other gods. Their temple is destroyed. They feel in that very moment as God has abandoned them. And then Jeremiah comes along and says, I know the plans, uh, God says to them, I know the plans I have for you, plans for good to give you a hope and a future. This would be like you and I going to Ukraine and walking around and saying, God has a plan for all of this. Probably not the right time, right? Probably not the right moment. No one continues to read on. Look at verses 12 and verse 13. This is so good. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. So in this, in this prayer of guidance and discernment, when we, when we say, I have the future I want right in front of me, right? God knows the plans, right? Usually what we're actually saying is, I want that thing, right? When this is all in front of me, I want that job. I, I ultimately want to do that. Pray that. Pray, God, this is what I want, but I'm open to the plans that you have for me. And then if we would just maybe turn away from ourselves a little bit here. God, what are your plans? You say you have plans for me. Can can I hear them? And God says, this passage actually tells you the plan. 
So if we take verse 11 out of context, you hear, here's the plan. Um, uh, and verse 12 is the plan. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you'll find me. Another translation says, um, seek me. And so that when you pray to God and, and, and you say, um, God, I, 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 I want to seek you wholeheartedly, he says, you're going to find me. And, and actually, I'm the thing you're going to find, right? And when you find me, you'll be fine in whatever situation you probably have ahead. And so we're just getting, being taken out of ourselves. We're being um, taken out of the thick of the emotion of what we're going through and experiencing. And God says, when you seek me, guess what you're going to get? You're going to get me. And that's the thing you ultimately were seeking and desiring anyway. And so I think this is a, maybe a better way to pray, right? That we're going to Scripture that we're looking around, we're examining the very words of Scripture, and then what we're finding is God is actually teaching us to pray. He's giving us the words to pray. I almost saw this um, as like Brandon a couple weeks ago was talking about praying in our weakness, that the Holy Spirit comes and will just give us the words. That was like the 101. Praying Scripture was like the 202. It's like the hack in how to pray. It's like the words are already there for you, right? And so we have to immerse ourselves in the Scripture. We have to begin to, to desire them and to understand them and to seek wisdom and understanding. And, and quite frankly, I'm, I, have, I have no ending. Um, so um, <laughs> that, that was the end of my, my spiel there. But, but I, I think this may be it. Is some of you in the room, maybe you're feeling like, I don't, I don't like, how do I learn Scripture? Like, no one, ever, no one ever taught me how to do that. Or like, that was a really long time ago. Ask someone. Like, ask someone. Say like, hey, would you read the scripture with me? Like, I, I actually don't know. And to just add a level of humility to your life to say, actually, I want to do that, but that felt like, like the 202, 303. I actually just need to know like, where to even start in the Bible. In humility, just ask. There are amazing people around here who would love to read scripture with you. I read scripture with you. I'll point you in the right direction, right? I'm, I'm, uh, one of the things you find when you read the Bible is that you know a lot less than you, than you thought you did, and it's very, very humbling. And so if, if that's you this morning, I would just say, if you want to pray scripture, start with those passages in the handout, but then just ask. I want to do that. I'm desiring depth. I want to be um, discipled. I want to come under Jesus as a disciple, and I need some help in, in being pointed in the right direction, all right? Um, please go back and listen to any of these teachings um, if they're helpful, and uh, let's pray. Uh, Lord, we, we meet in this place, and I'm mindful of what you say in Isaiah, that um, your church would be a house of prayer. And I just pray that that would be true, that in this room, that this would be a house of prayer that in our living rooms this fall, in our community groups, that it would be homes of prayer, that they would be places where we're bringing honest desires and requests to you, we're placing them before you, and then saying in relinquishment, not what I will, but what you will, Father. God, continue to grow us in this, in this way of being. Prayer, this honest connection with you. Help us be a people that are immersed in your scriptures, knowing that out of your scriptures comes communication, comes um, a God who hears us. God, be the God that hears us. Help our prayers not fall empty, but, but fall on your ears that are open to us, God. The God that gives good gifts, that desires us. And so, um, Lord, I pray that um, as we come to the communion table um, this morning, that we um, would be reminded that ultimately all roads in Scripture do lead to your son, Jesus. God, that the sacrifice that you made might reorient our very being, that we would say, 
I follow the sacrificial God. I follow the God who loved the world so much that he gave up his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We love you, Jesus. It's your name we pray. Amen.